Psalm 130, I invite you to stand out of respect for God's word. A song of ascents. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope my soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord, there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning our souls wait upon you. We wait to hear your word preached and applied and illuminated by the work of your Holy Spirit. And as we wait upon your word, Lord, we ask that you would make it clear to us and change us because of it. Change us even today, we pray through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The great theologian, Martin Luther, I think most of us know him, Uh, not personally, of course, but know who he was, a great theologian and reformer from Germany. And he had many students, and these students loved to ask their teacher trick questions. On one one occasion, one one student had cooked up a trick question and came up to Dr. Luther while they were sitting around the dinner talking, and he said, Dr. Luther, Which are the best psalms? Which are the best psalms? Now, you know that's a trick question, right? Because there are 150 psalms, and each one of them is is, uh, fixed by the good shepherd, by the Lord himself, to meet us where we're at in the different um, postures of the soul. And so there's no best psalm when when we really get down to it. But the people asked Dr. Luther, which are the best psalms? And a good teacher knows how to be prepared for a trick trick question. Dr. Luther said this. The psalms written by the Apostle Paul, of course. The Pauline psalms are the best psalms. Now, right away you say, okay, a good trick answer to a trick question The Apostle Paul didn't write any psalms. The psalms were written long before him. But Martin Luther knew what he was saying. He he, he had a point with all of this. He was talking about seven of the psalms called the penitential psalms. Seven psalms out of 150 focus on the forgiveness of sins and the freedom that comes when a sinner repents. 
And the reason why Dr. Luther called these seven psalms the penitential psalms is because each one of them, they actually kind of sound like Paul himself wrote them. They almost sound like something straight out of the book of Romans put into poetry because they lead the soul from that that knot of sin and misery and guilt and they lead the the, the sin-sick soul into the freedom of God's forgiveness, just like we heard read in the book of Romans today. The God who justifies sinners. And there was one psalm in particular out of those seven that Martin Luther loved dearly. He's not the only one. Other theologians like John Owen loved this psalm dearly, and it was Psalm 130, the psalm we've heard read today. A Pauline psalm, a penitential psalm, and it's also a psalm of ascent. There's a number of psalms called the Psalms of Ascent, and they were used for a particular reason. They were dog-eared in in the hymnals of the ancient people of Israel, and they would turn to them when they were going up on that long trek up to Jerusalem for three festivals out of the year. I know I'm telling you a lot here in the intro, but this is all going to come together. Several times out of the year, the Israelites would turn in their hymnals that God had inspired to the penitential psalms, to the Pauline psalms, and to this psalm of ascent. What would this psalm do, this Psalm 130? Why did Luther love it so much? Well, well, it's, it's, it's this in a nutshell. That this psalm would lead the soul out of the depths of sin and to the heights of glorious assurance. That's what we're going to see today. And we're going to see that this is good news for souls that are waiting. Waiting for Christmas. Waiting for the return of the Son of Man. And this good news for awaiting people begins in the depths. The depths. Out of the depths I cry to you. Oh, Lord, hear my prayer. That's what we hear from the psalmist. And once again, just like some of the other psalms we heard, just like the psalm of lament, Psalm 13 that we studied, this psalm almost comes up from the ground like a deep groan, like a sigh of desperation. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Isn't that fitting? You almost don't have to know what it means to say, okay, I relate to that. What are the depths, though? The depths we hear about throughout the Psalms as the deepest possible place that you could go. And the depths were a particularly particularly concerning and frightening place for those in ancient Israel. Because the depths, you could almost picture them. This This is what it was like. Think about the ocean stretched out before you. And then imagine you dive into the ocean and you see before you this great pit, this cavern that just goes down and down and down like a sinkhole all the way. You you could drop a a penny into the ocean and it just keeps going down and down and down and down into the depths, into a pit, a dark pit, where not even the fish dwell. That's the depths. And... um, 
think of Jonah, right? Jonah is this perfect picture of a man who, who prays, Lord, I am in the depths. Where is he? He's in, the, he's in the bottom of the ocean in the belly of a fish. That's the depths. Lowest possible place, a place of darkness, a place of, of, of deep pain and misery. Now, how did the psalmist get there? How did he end up feeling like this? How did he end up feeling like he's in the depths? Well, he tells us in verse three, there's something pestering his soul. There's something just poking and poking at his conscience. It's this, if you, O Lord, could mark iniquities, who could stand? Who could stand? Sin has pulled this man down into the depths. And not just sin. You, you know what sin is? Sin is missing the mark. Doing, uh, it is doing what God forbids. It is rebelling against God. But it's also the guilt that comes from sin that has left him in this place. The psalmist is pricked time and time again of guilt over all that he's done, over shame over, over his unworthiness. And like voices that come out, you know, just push him down and down and down. His own voice in his head, the voice of Satan, the voice of those that taunt him. He says, I am unworthy. And he just sinks down and down into the depths. Imagine that this morning uh, I introduced a new piece of technology. Imagine I lowered this screen behind me. Yes, there is a screen that can be lowered if you don't know that. And then imagine that every time I started talking about sin and looked you in the eye, suddenly every, so the, the, the worst things that you've ever done flashed up on that screen so everyone could see it. And imagine that, you know, an audio, an, an, you know, audio display of your worst thoughts started playing and everyone could hear. I just went from one person to the next and everyone had their turn. It's kind of a dreadful thought, isn't it? Do you think anyone here at the end of that situation, I don't know what to call it. Do you think anyone here would be standing proud? Yep, that, that's me. What a wonder. I, I'm glad that, you know, that that got put up there. No, I think we'd probably leave the room crouched, you know, uh, slumped over. And then imagine that everything you've ever done before a just and holy God was presented before him. Could you stand before a perfect God? Would you, be, would you still be standing before him on your two feet with, with your, your chest puffed out? No. The scriptures are clear. We've heard it from Romans chapter 3. No one seeks God. No one does what is right. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that perfect God, what must he do to every sin that even at this moment, is, is present to him and his all-knowing eyes. He must punish that sin. 
He must send it to the depths far from his presence. I believe it's all of this that haunts the soul of the psalmist in this passage. And I wonder if if any of you are there this morning. I wonder if any of you have, have known what it's like to be in the depths. I think each of us at some point in the Christian life knows what that's like. You know, we talked three weeks ago about the kind of lament over a kind of anxiety and depression that just shows up and, and, and bothers us and we can't quite explain it. It's not always connected to sin, but sometimes it is. And sometimes we, we actually know that our despair, it's not just following us because we live in a world of suffering, but it's following us because we are a sinner and have sinned in particular ways. Sometimes... It's guilt and shame that send us to the depths in the cave of despair. And if you're there this morning, if if you say, there's something that just keeps following me and the only way to get rid of it is just to push it out of my mind, but then it it just comes up. You're, You're not the first Christian to find yourself there. Notice that this psalm, once again, Like every psalm is, it's here to help. This psalm is not here just to poke you and poke you. It's here to help you. And one of the ways it helps is it gives you words for your for your soul to repeat. That's a theme that that we've seen throughout these psalms of Advent. You know, I talked about it in the first sermon. Brad talked about it last week. The psalms give you words when you don't know what to say. And here are words for a sin-pestered soul, a soul that is drowning in guilt. And notice once again that this psalm, there's two things that it avoids. First of all, it doesn't deny your emotions. It doesn't shame you for them. It doesn't say, how dare you think about the depths, you lowly sinner. How how, how dare you fixate on the depths? No, it says, yes, speak, cry about the depths. But notice it also doesn't enshrine those feelings. It doesn't say, just wallow in your guilt, wallow in your shame. It says, no, speak out of the depths to the Lord. And so that's what happens in this psalm. There's a cry that actually directs our speech and gives you the words to say to God, I feel guilty. I don't know how I can stand before other people, let alone you. God, I know I'm a sinner. I I, I know I've done wrong and I don't know what to do about it. And I can't find assurance. And I'm trying, but I need your help to get out of the depths. That is a quite appropriate prayer to pray. That's where you start if you find yourself before a holy God and feeling guilty and ashamed of your sins. But notice where this psalm goes because there's this turning point. What happens when we cry out to this God? It's as soon as we cry out to this God that we start to realize fundamental things about who he is. And there's one thing about who he is 
that just changes everything. It totally changes the tone of this psalm and it starts to lift it out of the depths and and literally ascend higher and higher and higher. We're going to follow the psalmist through each stanza to a higher perch. And that second stanza, that second paragraph in your psalm, you can see it there in front of you. What does it say? Verse four. But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. With you, Lord, there is forgiveness. Now, what's this like? It's like you're in the depths and suddenly you're, you're reaching around, you're crying out and your, your hands grab a hold of something solid and you realize it's, it's the rails of a ladder. That's what forgiveness is like. That's what it's like to realize That the the God who is just and perfect is also a God who is a justifier in a forgiving God, right? Just like grabbing a hold of a ladder and saying, there's a way out of this. Isn't that what we saw? I mean, it's not surprising to hear uh, that this is a a Pauline psalm, as Martin Luther uh, says it, it is. Because if you heard Brad earlier read uh, through the book of Romans, in Romans chapter three, there's this key moment where you hear the word, but, but God has done what, what we could not do by becoming the just, both just and the justifier of the unjust. There's this turning point. And that's what we see in this song. But with you, O Lord, there is forgiveness. Now we love to talk about forgiveness, but let me, let me just tell you, Three things about this forgiveness that we need to realize this morning. First of all, the kind of forgiveness being talked about in this psalm is a present forgiveness. Present. It's not just this hope, oh Lord, there, there, there could be forgiveness one day. No, he says it and he means it. There is forgiveness right here, right now. That's who God is. He is the forgiving God. His forgiveness is also a plentiful forgiveness, a full forgiveness. This is what I love about this, this, this part of the passage. It simply says this, there is forgiveness. And it's that simplicity that speaks volumes, right? You say, well, well God, I don't think you know what you're, what I've done. If you actually knew, if you could see everything, every, every sin flashed up on a screen, God, you know, I don't, I don't know if you would still say that. Yes, there is forgiveness and that's it to cover any sin, to pardon any departure from God's holy standard. That's the kind of forgiveness being spoken of here. A present forgiveness, a plentiful forgiveness, and also a personal forgiveness. This is one of the hardest things in the Christian life uh, for for many people, and it's the struggle with assurance. You know, if, if you're walking the Christian life and you say, you know, I believe that God is a forgiving God. I believe there is forgiveness out there. But is there forgiveness for me right now? 
You know, is there forgiveness for a doubter like me? Then you are not alone. That, that, that was the struggle of John Owen, the great theologian. That was the struggle of Martin Luther. That was the struggle of this psalmist who says, could there be a forgiveness for doubters like me? This is the long struggle of an unbeliever who wrestles with assurance that, that forgiveness could be out there in the abstract, but then taking that next step and say, ah, there's forgiveness for me. That's what this Psalm invites us to do. And we'll talk about how to get there. A present forgiveness, a plentiful forgiveness, a personal forgiveness for the specific things that you and I have done How do we know that there really is such a beautiful ladder to pull us out of the depths? How do we know that there really is that kind of forgiveness with God? And the answer is found in the atonement that God has made, the provision that he has made for every sinner who will come to his perfect sacrifice. You see, the psalmist in this passage, as he was going up, ascending to Jerusalem, what was he going up there to do? To make atonement for his sins, to to sacrifice an animal and to put his hands on that animal and to say, Lord, just as surely as this animal is put to death, so surely remove my sins from your sight. And that wasn't just, the, the psalmist knew that that could only be accomplished with a perfect sacrifice that would come down further on in history. And now we look back on the sacrifice that has been made by Christ Christ on the cross. We know that on the cross, the only man who could stand before God, righteous and holy, was himself thrown into the depths of the punishment that our sin deserved. Christ was engulfed in the depths of the wrath of God. And he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The crown of thorns on his head that poked and prodded him was a reminder of every sin that ours deserved. It's because of Christ that we can hear because he took upon himself the punishment that our sins deserved and took those sins and took them to the cross and took our record, the iniquities that God could mark out and nailed them to the cross. It's because he did all that that we can hear in Romans chapter eight. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How do we know that there is really such forgiveness with God? Well, because of what Christ has done on the cross. It's because of that kind of forgiveness that God says that that we can have a proper fear of him. What is that fear? You know, you hear that and you say, well, I expected to hear, you know, there is forgiveness that you may be loved, right? Kind of throws you off. But when God says there is forgiveness that I may be feared, 
He's talking about that full orb depreciation. Like, Lord, you are so holy and so, so reverent. And yet you love me. It's that kind of fear that a son has for his father, wanting to please him and respect him. And then realizing that that to run in the other direction any further would be like running away from the only thing that can give us true joy. What is this appreciation of God's forgiveness? What is this laying a hold of the ladder in the depths? What does it do? It infuses the Christian life with hope. And it infuses our waiting with hope. That's what the third stanza of this psalm, the third paragraph, shows us. See, we started off in the depths. Now we're perched with the psalmist on the city wall. And he gives us this image of a watchman waiting for the dawn to come. Now, what does this mean? First of all, it shows us that the Christian life is all about waiting. It's what we've seen throughout this series, right? Just because God gives you forgiveness, just because he speaks to you words of beautiful pardon and he he calls you to confess your sin and he says, I forgive you just because that's the case doesn't mean that immediately everything is set right. They're still waiting, long waiting, waiting for the consequences of our sins to pass. Waiting for the struggle with sins to end. Waiting for assurance of forgiveness to sweep over us. Isn't it true that, you know, once we confess our sins, assurance that we really are pardoned, it doesn't come right away. It rarely comes right away, Christian. Sometimes you have to wait long periods of time before the reality of who you are in Christ matches up with how you are feeling. And so there's that long period of waiting and saying, Lord, I just can't wait until I feel you close again. I know you tell me that you've forgiven me. When will I feel like a forgiven man? When will I feel like a forgiven woman? Sometimes that takes a long time. And so we wait. We wait for God to come and meet us face to face, for Christ to return and set everything right. But as we wait, we wait with hope. And that makes all the difference. Look at the image in this passage. It is the image of a watchman. And he's sitting up on the, on the city wall. And he's looking at the horizon and waiting for the dawn. Now, have any of you ever worked a night shift? I've done that at least a few times in my life. And um, think back to the first time that you ever worked a night shift. Or maybe you're, you're a college student. You're up all night. You're just you know, wait, waiting um, you're, 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 you're keeping watch for your, your, your paper to get done, right? And long night, you're drinking coffee, keeping yourself alert. It's a long, grueling time. You know, the first night shift, the first time you ever stay up all night, it's exhausting. And you're saying, okay, when on earth is, is the sun going to rise? When on earth is my shift over and I can clock out? But there's one thing you know for sure if you're working night shift is this. Morning is coming. 
Morning is coming. And guess what, Christian? That is the glorious hope that the forgiveness of sins and God's assurance of pardon to you infuses in your waiting right now. It's this, that you are not endlessly in the depths. You are not endlessly perched on the city wall. As Psalm 35 says, Psalm 30, verse 5, weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. You see, God gives us that beautiful picture so that we can own that reality for ourselves. You know, if if you're waiting right now and you're tired of waiting and you're saying, when am, when, am I going to, when am I going to know the beautiful assurance that I'm forgiven? When am I going to have that assurance meet the reality of who I am? If you're waiting for that, if you're waiting for your struggle with sins to end, then friends, you need to see yourself as a watchman looking out at the horizon. Remind yourself, it's, 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 it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. God's dawn, that joyful return of Christ, it's on the horizon, it's coming. Keep ready. Joy is coming in the morning. And we know this, we know that the dawn is on its way because of the final stanza of this psalm. When we come to verse seven of this psalm, Just look at how far we've come. Started in the depths. Where have we ended up? At the heights of assurance itself. Look look what the psalmist says. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. He started off wondering whether even God heard him. Where's he ended? proclaiming to all the people who will listen in the congregation, I know God is full of redemption for whatever you're waiting for, for whatever sin you're struggling with. I've experienced it. I have that assurance. You see, the Lord tells you that after that long night of waiting, there will come this dawn of joyful proclamation where you will say, not just to yourself, but to others, I waited, I experienced, I know who the Lord is. And it was just a matter of waiting. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord, for with him is plentiful redemption. So we look forward to Christmas. We can appreciate that Christmas is a reminder that that night shift of dealing with sin, of waiting for the inward assurance that it that that won't last forever. That dawn is coming. Because when the fullness of time came, when God's people were groaning under the weight of, of that long night shift, waiting for the Son of God to appear, God sent His Son into the depths on that rescue mission to provide that ladder of rescue. And friends, the next time When this son of God appears, he will come to destroy the depths themselves so that sin will be no more, so that misery will be no more, and that waiting will be no more. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption.
Let's pray. Heavenly Lord, dear Father, we ask you to forgive our sins, for with you there is great forgiveness. And apart from you, there is nothing but endless depths of misery. Lord, give us that full assurance that we wait for. May we not have to wait much longer, Lord, for that beautiful dawn that will come and wipe away every tear and remove the depths that we often sink into. And Lord, while we wait for that time to come, give us assurance and patience and give us that by helping us to lay a hold of Christ and all his benefits and especially the benefit of the forgiveness of our sins. Lord, if there is anyone here who is racked by guilt and followed by despair over sin, may he or she not wait any longer to hear the assurance of pardon from Christ in the gospel. And may that change everything about our waiting. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.